sorry. All right, um, I'm starting a series on the book of James tonight, um, but let me just first just briefly open in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for uh, the way it works in our hearts to, to change us and cause us to know you better and love you more. And so I pray that you would just overcome my deficits and uh, just open up your word to our congregation to speak powerfully um, uh, that we might hear what you have to say to each one of us tonight. All right, so um, before I start into James, I just want to briefly say a word about preaching in general. And um, my question is, what's the best way to preach? What's the best method for preaching? And and really, if we want to answer that question, we'd say, well, what does the, the Bible say? And it, it turns out that the, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of specific methodology for preaching. It doesn't tell us an exact way to approach it. And so you could look to Jesus and say, well, how did he preach? And a pastor told me one time that if, if you preached uh, the Sermon on the Mount for, for a seminary uh, preaching course, you'd probably get a very bad grade. <laughs> Um, and so we, to Western ears would, would not accept that mode of preaching necessarily. Um, so you can say, well, what about the Apostle Paul? And he said, well, I didn't, I didn't come to you with eloquence of speech, but I preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, so one strong clue there is that we preach Christ, that we preach the gospel. And, and uh, that, will, that will apply strongly to what I want to say about the book of James tonight. Um, but, you know, at, in Lonsdale Community Church, we, um, our, our method, if you will, is to um, preach expository sermons directly through books of the Bible. And, um, and, uh, and we, we, just, we think that's a good way to keep us honest, to keep us really teaching the Bible very directly, to go verse by verse, and... and um, and not, not get into a mode where we uh, preach sort of topical sermons and perhaps say what we want to say and just add a lot of verses. So that's our method of, of preaching. But interestingly, one of the greatest preachers of all time, uh, Spurgeon in England, um, and I honestly didn't know this until just recently, did not do that. He each week took a chunk of sermon, and often, often it would be sort of an esoteric Old Testament passage, and then he would preach through that but nevertheless was a very powerful biblical preacher. Um, and then, so that leads me into this question of preaching um, long segments versus very short segments of Scripture. <laughs> and um, as you know, I, uh, Clayton's style is to go do a bit more, a bit longer segments, and my style has been to go with shorter segments. And, and part of the point I'm making is that it really... That's honestly more of a style issue versus, you know, I hope you would agree, not a right or wrong issue. And the reason I mention that is that we, if we develop attitudes about something or strong thoughts about something, so if someone says, I really like preaching a lot of Bible at once, then when someone's preaching just a little bit, it might come to bother you 
and you might completely miss what the Spirit is, is teaching you in that. And so, and this is really like any of the, any of the controversies we have in the church. So many of them are things that are sub-biblical. So there are things about the style of music or the way our, our church is built or all, all sorts of things that people argue about. So it's all to say that, um, that I'm in general going to be preaching fairly small sections each time. Um, I think I'm going to take about five, five or six sermons to get through James 1, but hopefully just two sermons in James 2. <laughs> so, uh, but just to let you know that ahead of time um, and to prepare for it. So, so this is going to be an introduction to the book of James. And I'll just say that James for a long time has been one of my, my, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And... Um, and after the last few months, after studying it very deeply, uh, preparing to preach, preparing to uh, meditating on it deeply, um, and then reading, reading commentaries, reading authors, that sort of thing, I appreciate it a whole lot more than I did, and I think for much better reasons than I did before. So I hope that will transmit. I hope I'm able to transmit what, what the Lord has done in my heart in this study. And I'll, I'll tell you as we go through some of the the Lord has profoundly affected me in, in some of these, uh, some of the exhortations of James. Uh, so the author James, we most people agree that this is James, the the brother of Jesus, or you could say the half brother of Jesus. And he, uh, in in Mark six three, is mentioned along with three of the other brothers, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And it turns out that they, while Jesus prior to Jesus' death, they didn't believe in him. And there's one, uh, one passage even when Jesus had just selected the 12 uh, apostles and, or his 12 disciples and, um, and he's, he's just very, having very busy ministry. There's people all around and he, he goes to where he's staying there in Galilee, but it says he, they couldn't even eat because so many people were demanding Jesus' attention. And this apparently uh, made his mother and brothers think he was out of his mind. So it says, thinking he was out of his mind, they went to seize him. They were going <laughs> to take him away from that situation. And when they got there, the crowd that he was talking to said, said Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. And he said, uh, he said who are my mother's and mother and brothers? It's you here that are listening and believe. You are my mother and brothers and sisters. And so, uh, but but worse, perhaps worse than thinking he was out of his mind, um, there there was a time when they mocked him. So really reflecting almost some contempt or perhaps envy. And that was in John 7. Jesus was, it was near the Feast of Booth. Jesus was staying up in Galilee because the Jews were plotting to kill him and his time to go down to Judea had not, had not arisen yet. And his brothers were like, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Why, you need to get down to the big city. You, you want to be famous, don't you? Right? So get down to the big city and do things where you can be known all around the world. Do, do your works down there. And he said, well, my time has not yet come, but your time, he basically tells them your time is any time. In other words, you guys don't believe, so it doesn't really matter when you go. So, so, so coming out of really unbelief, <clears throat> thinking he's crazy, mocking Jesus. Mm -hmm. how, how does James, James gets to a point where Paul in Galatians 2.8 says that he's a pillar of the church. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, uh, 
is one of the acknowledged leaders in the Church of Jerusalem. Uh, we see that in, in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. James is the strong voice in that council, even with Peter and Paul there. Um, he becomes a fiery exhorter, obviously an author of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately he becomes a martyr for, for his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, they say the best accounts say that he was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple, landed, didn't die. And as he prayed for his murderers, he prayed, Father, Father, forgive them. They, they threw stones at him and bashed him with a club and killed him. So again, how, did, how does a man go from, from being a, a mocker and an unbeliever to, to that, to being a martyr for Jesus Christ. And, and the Bible tells us, Paul, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15 says that, that the, the risen Christ um, saw many people. He first saw Peter, then he saw the 12, then, then more than 500 he talked to. And he, and he basically says many of them are still alive right now. And he, I think he's, he's saying, you, you go, if you don't believe me, go ask them if you saw the risen Christ. And then, it, then, he, then, he, then he saw James, and then finally Paul. Paul says it's one untimely born. So, so this to me is one of the um, greatest arguments for the resurrection, is that, that this man went from an unbeliever to, to a powerful pastor, a powerful man of the faith, and one who would die for Jesus. And obviously, after Jesus ascended, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and, and drew his power from that. So what kind of a letter did James write? Um, many people have called James the Proverbs of the New Testament, and that, that in some, way, some ways could apply, because James is full of these little memorable statements that are just packed in just a little bit with practical wisdom. So just for example, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Mm -hmm. And that's one that speaks uh, very particularly to me and that, that has helped me a lot, but I'm still in process of, of, of learning that. Right. And then another one, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. And it's tempting, when you read James, it's tempted to, tempting to almost read it as a series of disconnected proverbs. But the more closely you study it, you realize that's, that's really not the case. Mm -hmm. But James is a man of action. So he doesn't want all Bible study and no action, so to speak. He, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Mm -hmm. And now don't get me wrong here. I'm not in any way criticizing theological teaching. But, for, but James, in particular, is not especially interested to teach theology. His interest is very practical, very straightforward, practical. And, and in fact, as I'll explain in a minute, he gets into some trouble uh, with some, some of the reformers for that. But in 108 verses of James, there are 50 direct commands. And it com the, the verses like, be joyful when you face trials. Ask God for wisdom, but do so without doubting. Do not grumble against one another. Receive with meekness the implanted word. It's one of my favorite verses. Um, show no partiality. Resist the devil. Cleanse your hands. Humble yourselves. So all these just, just little straightforward commands. So James' emphasis is very practical. And you could say it, you, in one sense, you could say it's practical instruction for life in the kingdom. And I love practical. Part of it's the biblical counselor side of me 
that really loves taking what taking practical teachings of scripture and then applying them directly to our daily lives, to our daily problems. Mm-hmm. And again, as I've said many times, it's something our church has sort of forgotten to do, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right? We 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 think of scripture as being for some esoteric religious means and we go to the world for our real problems. But but if James was simply practical, if it was simply how to, right? If it was really just telling us here's how to live a moral life, here's the right thing to do, it would be if it was moralistic, so to speak, that we'd have a serious problem on our hands. Right? And so and and early in the history of the Reformation, the book of James uh ran into some trouble because of that. There were people that read the book of James that way and were critical of it. And specifically Martin Luther. Do y'all know the name? Everybody know the name Martin Luther? He was a he was a German monk. He was a professor of theology. He was an ordained Catholic priest. Lived from the late 1400s to the mid 1500s. And really, he was one of the most, if not the most, significant figure in the history of the Reformation, in the early part of the Protestant Church. And he really, you could really say that he led the early protest against the Catholic Church. And Martin Luther King, um, this is something I didn't know, but his dad's name was Martin Luther. Martin Luther King's name was Michael. But when he decided to go into the ministry, he took the name Martin and that and again they were named in respect for Martin Luther. But as powerful as Martin Luther became under the under the power of the Holy Spirit, um, early on it was not like that. He, he was he was neurotic. He was anxious. So he was he was worried all the time, really uh, primarily about his salvation. He uh, he worried about going to hell. <laughs> He, he worried that he, and it really centered around this idea that he couldn't purge his sins, that he couldn't get every sin out of himself, that he couldn't do enough to please God, to bring himself close to God. And so his, his confessor, um, or you could even call it his counselor, he just, he just wore him out. He would sp- spend literally hours just going over every minute sin that he could just think of, thinking I'll finally get to the end of my sins and confess them all, and then maybe I'll be okay. Maybe God will accept me. Um, then, then he, he, remember he was a Bible, he was a Bible teacher, he's a professor of scripture. So through the influence of some others and through his own t- teaching, I mean through his own study, he learned the gospel. And, and God called him, God brought him in, and he, he understood the gospel, and he, he understood that his sins were covered by Jesus Christ, and that he could rest in that, that he could rest in the faith. And really, his greatest contribution to the church was, was this, this idea, this really biblical understanding of salvation, you could say, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works, mm-hmm. Right? So, so one of the things, um, one of the things that was going on in his neck of the woods was what, what they, the selling of indulgences. It was one of the, the practices of the Catholic Church that bothered him the most, that really angered him. Mm-hmm. And so I too, um, 
I'm going to try to sort of illustrate what that was by, by acting it out a bit. So, uh, so just pretend that, um, that as a pastor of Lonsdale Community Church, I am uh, going about in the community of Lonsdale house to house visiting folks. And I get, to, uh, I get to Sandra's house, and I come up to the door and... Hello, Pastor Randy. Oh, hey, Sandra. How are you? How are you doing? <laughs> Good. Well, well, can I come in and talk for a spell? <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Well, so we go into Sandra's house, sit on the couch, and, and I you know, do some chit-chat for a bit. And then I, I get around to saying, well, Sandra, are you, are you dealing with any sins that are troubling you? Is your conscience bothering you in any way? Yes, I am. Well, I've got good news for you. As the pastor, as your pastor, I've been authorized to provide you an indulgence to get you off the hook for that sin. Now, it'll just cost you a little bit for each sin, $25, but I'm sure you'll agree that that's a, a good deal, right? And you agree with that? Yeah. So, so Sandra and I then talk through her sins, and I walk out with $100 in my pocket, and she's, she's happy. <laughs> we deal now. She deals with some of scooters as well, you know. So, <laughs> now, now of course, it's all for the building of the new Lonsdale Community Church. It's not not for Pastor Randy, but okay. Well, it's outrageous as that sounds. That's exactly what was happening in, in Luther's neck of the woods. They, the the Catholic Church was selling indulgences, was taking advantage of people. And obviously worse in Luther's mind was damaging their souls, was causing them to believe that they could actually pay and, and do certain works to get off the hook of the consequence of their sins. And so when he wrote his theses, when he wrote his critique, that was one of the main things he dealt with. So you can, okay, so with that as a backdrop, with Luther coming from his, his sort of neurotic misunderstanding to, to a full understanding of the gospel, you can imagine how distressed he was when he read James 2.21. And I'll just read it. It says, now listen, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Okay, so, so Luther... Uh, Luther called James a strawy epistle. He said he wanted to rip it from his Bible. And as far as I know, and I even read some of his later writings, he never came off that stance. And, and, what he, and he really said it wasn't just, obviously this verse was very distressing to him because it said Abraham was justified by his works. But it really, um, it, it was more than that. He said that there's no, there's really not, there's hardly any Jesus in James. Right, he mentions Jesus at the first of chapter 1 and the first of chapter 2, but really hardly at all after that. And so there's no person and work of Christ in James. There's no resurrection. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit. And so he said, really, this book is most, mostly law, no gospel. And then interestingly, he said, he said, but it's not, it's not a bad book. He said it really has some good advice. Mm -hmm. He said, just don't put it in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put it in the canon, you know. And so, so how are we going to respond to Luther's concerns? Do you agree with him? I mean, I, I, now I will say, you, all of us, should, until we really think about it for a bit, should be troubled by that, that verse I just read. <laughs> but... Um, 
but thankfully, most, most men and women and those that think about the Bible throughout church history have very much wanted to leave James within. And obviously, I wouldn't be saying it's one of my favorite books and preaching on it if, if I didn't believe that. So the task then, our, our, our challenge is to ask them, where is Jesus in the book of James? Where do we find Jesus? And my argument that he is all through the book of James, <laughs> that it's all about Jesus. Okay, well, the first way, I want to argue, is that, that we find him in the teaching. And what I mean by that is that, that though James does not mention a lot about Jesus, and he doesn't, he doesn't even talk about union with Jesus, he... He sounds, the book of James, the language in the book of James, the teaching, sounds more like Jesus than any other book of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I would challenge you to read it alongside the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Is he really does seem like he's directly um, channeling the teaching of Jesus. And he, um, just, just for example, James 2.5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom? Luke 6.20, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And there are numerous verses like that throughout James. And again, really just you'll find as we study it that most of the teaching is very much <laughs> the way Jesus taught Think about, again, the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this is a shortened version. Make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I commanded. Okay, make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I commanded. Now, I'm going to argue that James beautifully models getting the teachings and commands of Jesus sort of directed to the issues he's dealing with as a pastor, Right? If, just, if you just read it, that's, that's really exactly what he's doing. He's, ta he's taking what Jesus said and making it relate to the people that he's working with, that he's serving, to their sins, to their problems, to their trials. Jesus, uh, Jesus said, um, he talked about toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he said, talking about building your house on the rock rather than on the sand. And those, those who build their house on the rock are ones that, that obey uh, the Word of God, right? They don't just hear it, they obey it, they do it. And if you build your house on the sand, you, you hear it and don't obey. And he also, even more starkly, later in, in Matthew 25, he, he talks about the sheep and the goats and the way he separates the sheep and the goats in the great throne judgment is, is literally by... Did when I was sick, when I was poor, when I was in prison, did you come visit me? Did you did you bring me water? Did you heal my disease? And they said, "What? When did we do that for you?" And he said, "He said when you did it for the least of these." And so, in other words, Jesus literally made a separation based on what, how how folks had dealt with him, how they had approached him, had they shown love. And then James, of course, much more simply, uh, says be doers of the word, not hearers only. So, so James has given a model to the church of how to, I would argue, of doing the Great Commission, of, of, of how to get the teachings of Jesus out to the people. And you could argue, and this, this would just be 
my thoughts here, but that, that really there's the specific teachings of James, but that James is also a template. It's also a how-to. How do we take the teachings of Jesus and apply them to those that we are discipling? And really just to, be, to make this crystal clear, um, and I think, that, and the reason I, I belabor this is that the church hasn't made this crystal clear typically, is that discipleship is the center of Christianity. It's really, you could argue, sometimes I, I know that it, people get confused about, well, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Mm-hmm. Well, one way to, to tell people to abide in Christ is be his disciple. Mm-hmm. Follow him. So really, if we, if we learn to be a disciple of Christ, if we learn to be a follower of him, that's how we abide in him. That's how we love him. And if we teach others to do that, that's how we teach others to abide in him. It's how we teach others to love him. Okay, so there's, there's one more critical way that, that this teaching in the book of James exalts Jesus and really contain, that, that really is what you would call a gospel teaching. And then this is critical as we think about it because this could be a typical mistake that were made here. And it's also very consistent with discipleship. And that says James is not asking us to carry out any of these commands in our own strength by sheer willpower, right? And I think often we, it's easy to drift back into trying to do that. I think we all struggle with that. And rather, James is aware, and our assumption is that his readers were, that Jesus said, Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I commanded, and I'll be with you. So Jesus said, I am with you in this. And then he also made it clear that he was sending his Holy Spirit to live inside of us to empower us to do these things. So, okay, so Jesus is with us. He sent his Holy Spirit. But then there's one, there's one more thing, and perhaps one more thing that's even more important. Remember at the first of the Sermon on the Mount, or, or toward the first of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, um, he said, you think that I've come to abolish the law. Yes. He said, that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. I've come to fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, if any of you relaxes even the least of one of these commandments, you're the least in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. In other words, don't do that. And, and we'll talk about that next week. But... but Jesus, when he came, he lived every bit of the law out perfectly, meaning that he was constantly and perfectly connected to his Father, that he did everything the Father said to do, and that he loved the Father with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved others to the extent that he died even for his enemies. He died for us when we were yet sinners. So... So we will, while it's true that, that we will never carry out these commands of Jesus perfectly, remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Jesus said, be perfect, basically. And so again, what is the solution for that? The solution, the solution for that is that in Christ, two things. First is that when we mess up, he's got us covered. Right? God looks and sees Jesus. But also in Christ, 
He's freed us from the power of sin. He's freed us from slavery to sin. He's made it possible that we begin to walk those things out and walk toward perfection. Right? So, so just to close, Jesus is the center. Right? He's the center of everything about our, our lives as, as followers of him. And our preaching should always center on Jesus Christ, and it, it turns out that this book of James is, is completely centered in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand. Uh, we thank you that you have asked us to make efforts of our own to understand it and to follow it, but that those efforts are always in Jesus. They're, they're, all, they're never never on our own, never of our own strength. But but in Jesus, Father, we can we can read your word and then and then literally make efforts to obey it. Um, that that we know Jesus is with us every step of the way, that He's assisting us in. And that we're growing to be more like him and that when we mess up we've got our Savior right there to stand in our place. Father, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.